What's up? What's happening? And welcome to the Brothers in Law podcast. I am one of the in laws, DT Gallagher, and joining me, as he always will, is my brick throwing and squatting before he opens a door, brother in law, CJ Carson. Man, we are survivors. This is how I survive. No, we are survivors. Yeah. It's over, Tess. It's over, CJ. <laughs> how you doing, dude? Dude, I've been playing Last of Us all month. I'm great. Yeah. Did you have a good Memorial Day weekend? I did. Yeah. So, it's kind of cool. Yeah. You know, we get to, uh, you know, honor those who, who served by giving them a podcast, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been a good time. And I guess now we're just going to play part two after this. I'm just saying. Woo! Yeah. Teasing out another thing. So, it's good to see you. Glad we're doing this podcast. Good to be here. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Brothers in Law podcast. CJ and I take uh, a video game monthly, play through it, dissect what the game is trying to tell us or inform us, which is what we would call a worldview. Then we discuss how the game either points to the gospel or fulfills or critiques the themes in the game. In a world where 3.1 billion people play video games, we want to share the intentional or unintentional gospel truths that video games provide. So... Here's what you can expect from this episode. Today we're doing The Last of Us. This is it, man. So we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to introduce The Last of Us. Uh, What is it? What's the game about? What did we like? What did we not like? And then we'll kind of transition to what this podcast is all about. We'll talk about the worldviews of The Last of Us. So, like, what does it promote? What worldviews uh, does it contain? And then we'll do some gospel parallels and gospel fulfillment. And uh, this is more about application, I guess, to a certain extent as well. But what, if anything, points to the gospel? How does the gospel fulfill or critique the embedded worldviews in The Last of Us? And then at the very end, we'll kind of talk about some challenges. What are the challenges, if any, that this game has that would present to Christians? And that'll be a very interesting part of the podcast mm, when we get I to agree. it. Okay? Are you ready for this? Dude, so ready. You've been playing it all month. I hope you're ready. And actually, our, our schedule was a little weird this past month because we, we, uh, we, we didn't... Sk- <laughs> We didn't do the Horizon Zero Dawn on the week we were supposed to do it. So yeah, we got we backed off it up a, little, a week. So yeah. we actually only had like three weeks to be yeah. able to play this game. And then but... I went on a brief vacation. And that's because okay. my, my lovely wife, your your sister, graduated vet school. So I got to give her a shout out there. Yeah, Megan yeah. is a doctor now. Yeah, and you're on. You two are on like the vet website now too. Happenstance, yeah. Which is really cool. Doctor and so Mr. Carson on the. Uh... There you go. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk about The Last of Us. Yep. Um, this is per PlayStation. I think it's actually a pretty good, it's a concise, just overall, despite being, um, well, it's not too specific, but it's a pretty good generalization of what it's about. So we understand that some of our listeners might not be so familiar with the game mm. and we'll kind of talk about it. And again, like spoilers, we're obviously beginning, we, we might even talk about the biggest plot point in the very first worldview part. Who knows? But per PlayStation, it says this, 20 years after a pandemic has radically changed known civilization, infected humans run wild and survivors are killing each other for food, weapons, whatever they can get their hands on. Joel, a violent survivor, is hired to smuggle a 14-year-old girl, Ellie, out of an oppressive military quarantine zone. But what starts as a small job soon transforms into a brutal journey across the U.S. 
That's and, su- that's such an interesting um, summary of this game. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, it fits it, it, but that really paints Joel as much darker than what your intro to him is. Yeah, in this game. But I think it grounds the person. Oh, it's into dead on. Who he actually it's is. It's dead right? on. Yeah. He's definitely more complex, but we can't forget who he actually is at the same yeah. time. So yeah, that's like a very like, you know, we're looking at it from like three thousand feet of just kind of like what the game is about, but it's kind of stripped of its emotional. Yeah. side of things, which I think is very interesting. So let's talk about what we liked. Uh, what did we like about this, CJ? So I think as I've pointed out in multiple games up till now, I'm a real music freak when it comes to games. You sure are. So this is one of the albums I listen to probably the most, especially working on a pig farm on stretches of time where we don't have pigs there and I'm just in these decrepit old buildings. I just throw in some Last of Us, get some of that Gustavo magic flowing. Yeah. Dude, it's yeah. so high. Yes. So good. Yeah. And then also, um, so the pandemic that you look at in this game is actually based on a fungus, not like a virus or some sort of mad cow or something like in Zombieland. And it's, yeah. I thought that was so interesting because mm-hmm. this cordyceps virus, that's a real virus. It really, is. And ants. Yeah, particularly and actually, ants. it's in a lot of other things, It can too. infect a lot of insects. But yeah, I, yeah, we were watching like some little video and it infects ants and it makes them act funny and it spores out and that's how it spreads. And that's exactly what this does. And it to starts people. taking over, and then it affects other like, yeah, amp. Yeah, like gets into the colony. Yeah. So I don't know why that was just such a cool twist for me that it wasn't just your typical kind of zombie tale. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, like it's so weird reading something about pandemic. You know, that hasn't really aged well in our day of age right now. Yeah. Um, thankfully, we don't have just you know people running around. Like zombies or anything like that. Yeah. Yet. But this, it does it does give you a little bit more appreciation playing a post-pandemic game now that we've, quote, lived through a pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. So, makes, you, makes you really appreciate what a cure means, too. <laughs> we will get to that. <laughs> That's so good. Um, yeah. How about I you? Love the story. Too uh, good. This was actually, I, I actually had an Xbox One at the very beginning of the last generation. And I sold it because I was like, I think PlayStation has the better games. So I sold it, bought uh, Uncharted 1 through 3, and then The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. And The Last of Us was like the one game, though, that I had to play. And it changed how I just viewed video games after that, where I was just involved in a... All I care about is story, actually. I don't really care for like the Call of Duties, the Halos, multiplayer, anything like that. I just want to know, like, I, I want to experience a story because I was really affected by the story. There was sure. a lot of, like, jaw-dropping moments, you know, that I could not believe that I didn't see coming. And a lot of emotional weight in here, too. This is definitely the heaviest game that you've introduced me to. Yeah, I don't, I didn't, I didn't never know that video games could do something like this. Yeah. Now, up until this point, I think you could argue that a lot of video games kind of did this still. You know, like, I hear a lot about Mass Effect, which they just came out with a remastered and all this other kind of stuff, but, um, or these other narrative tied type of games. But this one really like changed my trajectory as a gamer where I was just like, you know what? Video games have something to say. And I mean, you'd be surprised by, actually, I don't know if you would, if you play this game, but like the video documentaries out there now where I've watched one guy, he was like, you know, the last of us made me want to have a daughter, Mm, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. I can say that. It's really interesting. So, anyway, love the story, just amazing. Um, and then contrary to critical outlets, I listen to a lot of podcasts about 
people hating the gunplay and the combat in this game. And I have I have That's no so idea what they're talking about, in my opinion, but I, I love it. I think it's maybe they're on to something to say like it's not very fluid or easy, but it's not a combat game. But it did, I, I think that grounds the game yeah, exactly. even more. Yeah. And like you know, your your little dot for the mm-hmm. gun won't really get small until you have to be standing you're still like if you focused, want. Focused, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of that feels good to me. The guns it, feel good to me. It does. Um, and then once you get into a rhythm of the game, I feel like it kind of changes. So like if you have like a brick or a bottle, you kind of know what to do. You, you, you sure. throw that brick or that bottle, and then you oh, run up to the person, and then you you either have your pipe or something, or you just you have shiv your fist. Them. Yeah, or you yeah you hit them. Because once you kind out. of weaken them like that, that's it. No, clickers can be annoying or whatnot, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I love the combat. It yeah. wouldn't surprise me to hear that was like an intentional choice to make the combat more difficult. Because again, you're not some like super soldier sure. or warrior. Well, I don't know. I think I, it fits. I just uh, I feel like people just really get on Naughty Dog about that. Like they're like, ah, I've never really liked the combat in Naughty Dog games, and mm. I'm just like, I don't really have a problem with it. I still think it's fun. There are some times where you feel like, oh, I wish this was a little more fluid. But I'm not playing an FPS. Like I'm not playing Doom yeah. or anything. You know what I'm saying? So. It's whatever for me. Lastly, I would say this. The characters. Um, everyone is so developed. Um, Very good detail in these characters. Yeah. I I like... You care about every character that you come into contact with, in my opinion. So, that does a lot for me. Where, like, you meet Bill and you're just like, Bill is the worst. And I love him so much. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Henry and Sam. I love <clears throat> those guys. Tess. I mean... And then we'll, we'll talk about this in a second, but even Sarah, you know, you meet her for 20 minutes and you love her, right? Mm-hmm. And it's these, like, it's, Naughty Dog did such a good job, Naughty, Naughty Dog, by the way, the developer that made yeah. this game, uh, they did such a good job of writing fluid characters that, like, knew how to interact with people in a very... The way, I mean, you're talking about a lot of plot and character stuff. Honestly, the way Naughty Dog does their games, it's almost like they just write a novel and flesh all these people like a, out, and then they put that novel in. It's like game. a Tarantino type of process. I mean, it really is. You know, like, the we've we mentioned before how like video games are art. Like this is such a piece yeah. of artwork. Now, obviously, we're very prejudiced towards this game. We mention it in every podcast, I think. But. Yeah, I, I just remember like showing this game to you, you know, yeah. for the first time, and yeah, I'd watch you like play those like crazy moments, and I'm mm. just like. I, I think I recorded one You part. recorded me at the very end of the game. And I... Okay. Well, what was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like the credits rolled. Um, I love watching people play this game for the first time. I, I had so many friends at, at college that I was like, play this game. And it was just awesome seeing them like interact with the game. So I, I think that says something. Um, and yeah. I didn't say much about uh, when you said music, but the music is fantastic. I mean, again, that was probably one of the first games that I like noticed the score and everything. Yeah. And it really gets in your head a lot. I really think it's just perfectly paced with everything, in my yeah. opinion. Like it's not, it's not too long. Like it, the game's pretty long, but it's it doesn't feel long. And then I feel like every beat, like the music, the scenes, everything just feels yeah. right to me. They they do a very good timing because there's a lot of times in this game. Where it's just dead quiet, mm-hmm. which just illustrates how alone you are. And they are, yeah, yeah. But when they put that music in, I'm mean, they're they're really intelligent about how they yeah. mix that in. They were going off that because of um, oh, no country for no, old men. No country for old men. Yeah, they, they said, wanted that vibe. They said they only, you know, they watched the movie for the first time and they were like, "Man, I think I heard music for about ten minutes." 
in that movie. I'd be surprised. And the majority of it was at the very end yeah. while the credits were rolling, and they just, they admired that. Like they were like, man, we liked it. And there are some really tense moments where like nothing's happening. Yeah, you know, I love it. Very good game. There's a few. If okay, let, let's kind of get into our dislikes actually sure. too. Um, uh, there's a few moments where uh, like one enemy detects you, everyone detects you, right? Mm. And there, I actually really like the sound effect though. Like when somebody sees you, or you should. Yeah, I don't know what that noise is. It's like a something like a chain. It sounds like a chain to a certain extent. I don't know. Or it's some sort of like. Collision like, or like if you were just like uh, welding a sword or something, or like you're beating of. on it with a hammer. Yeah. yeah, I don't. Or or even the noise of like when someone's about to detect you, mm-hmm. that tremor, or whatever it is you're supposed oh, to describe with. It's yeah. like uh, I don't know if that's supposed to be like a rush of blood. That in is or, so frightening. That runs. Yeah, that runs like bumps on me. Every yeah, time. but like sometimes there'll be like people uh, that one person's kind of like off. From the pack, mm-hmm. and then he'll see me or something, and then yeah. everybody just knows where I'm at. That's annoying. That is, and there are some moments too where it definitely feels like, okay, that was only set up for a combat situation, and I didn't really like that part. Sure. You know, and I'm just, I, I think it happened maybe once or twice. But that's definitely, um, it is a something game. that I don't like about. It. Yeah, and uh, but man, I I know we're t- anyway. Gears of War, <laughs> Gears of War did that a lot. Like you were just. You'd come to a place and it was just combat reasons, and it was like ugh, that wasn't fun, you know. Yeah. Like so, anyway, I just well, I, don't I think, like it when games would do that. And this know. this last thing I'll say about games being art, but I think some games are made to get you in the combat. Naughty Dog is very much made for the story, but they where they still have to work that combat in. Yeah, like their hands are probably just tied. Here you're and and you're reminded that there are just things. It just makes it a video game. Yeah. Like, for you, I think uh, you don't like it how Ellie can just run around and not be seen. Yeah, it's... I mean, don't <laughs> get me wrong. I love it yeah. in certain moments where I'm like, oh, no, I'm so Keep toast. Keep your head down. Yeah. Like, I dealt down. I've just been seeing, like, a guy's literally creeping around the corner, and Ellie, like, bumps into him, scoots over to get past me, and nothing happens. And I'm like, that was stupid, but I'll take it. <laughs> but it is a little bit, like, if they could detect Ellie, I'm sure I would get mad at her a lot more. But it's, it's one of those things where I was like, okay, it sucks me out of the world a little bit because this world is very engrossing. Well, and I would also say that, like, she'll make the move sometimes. Oh, I love it when Ellie jumps a person. And that can kind of throw you off guard. Yeah. But, yeah, she'll make the move to actually, like, go out, like, she'll be seen or something. And I, I guess that's where the game kind of collides and it goes, okay, yeah. we cannot hide this person anymore because she yeah. just ran into him or something, <laughs> you know. And uh, that's helpful. Yeah. Um, so I, I can definitely understand that. What other thing? You got one more thing that you didn't like? I mean, it's more of just a qualm about the plot. <laughs> but just at the very end, um, we're am I am I revealing? We said spoilers. It's yeah, fine, that's right? fine. So at the very end of the game, where you've, Ellie has the cure to this virus, and Joel takes her all this way so they can use her to develop a vaccine, possibly. And he learns that that means she's got to die. And the character who's ahead of the Fireflies, Marlene, is basically just like, get him out of here, don't worry, like, we already got her under sedation, it'll be quick. If she had just taken ten minutes to be like, Joel, go sit with Ellie, I think Ellie could have talked him into it, and then, I mean, we wouldn't have had The Last of Us Part Two. Yeah, I think they even reckoned with that, right? In The Last of Us Part Two. I don't remember. I think they bring that up, but, yeah, I, I, I understand that. I mean, I could be, I could be totally wrong. It's a lot of hypotheticals, but I think, I think you're not wrong for thinking that, or yeah. not really like. It just makes me. Fr- I think it frustrates me because these characters are so cool. I'm just like, ah, that feels like a little bit of a misstep. I actually, yeah, and I would say this. I, I think Marlene is very smart, 
And then I think it's very out of her character to just to let her guard down with Joel at the very yeah. end. I, I think that's really dumb. Yeah, seeing Joel, after, after everything they did, it's like, okay, I'm going to put one guy to get him out of the building. He's a, uh, he's very determined. He's man. a violent survivor, according to PlayStation. That's right. But he's a, he's already got his mind made up about some things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Marlene does too. She does, yeah. That, which, again, it was very... Yeah. And again, Joel kind of says that at the very end. You'll just come for her. Oh, yeah. So it just, it just seems weird her. that she would let her guard down and then, you know, Joel just shoots her. So. Heck of a scene, though. I know. It is good. Woo. All right. So before we actually talk about um, worldviews and themes, I think we need, to, we need to discuss something that's really cool that you and me really talked about a lot, actually. Yeah. And we won't talk about it too, too long, but we're talking about this um, repeated uh, phrases, right? So, like, if you were to watch a baby driver, I often think about that. Right? Dun, dun. Um, <laughs> It, you watch the movie, he watches, like, a scene for, like, a second. And, like, he'll use, he'll take that, like, quote that he sees in the movie, and then he'll apply it to his own life. How's that working out for you? Yeah, how's that working out for you? Um, you and me are a team. Nothing can get in the way of us or something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they grow up so freaking fast, don't they? Or something like that, right? I mean, it's just amazing. And then, like, no. oh, you are so beautiful. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh and, oh, and then Lily James, the actor, would just say, oh, you don't mean that. I'm like, oh, okay, come on, come on. But uh, anyway, so I think that's very interesting that this game actually will take a lot of, um, they'll, somebody will say something earlier on in the game, and then later another character mm-hmm. perhaps will use that and kind of like put it in their own type of context. Yeah. And we think that's a, that's intentional on the creators and the developers. Yeah. And it speaks, it's poetic in a way, and I think it's also, um, it's meaningful. Yeah. I mean, they definitely use it to flesh out a lot of ideas because as you just said, these characters might say it in a different context. Right. But it really drives it home for what they're trying to get. Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, this is kind of explained in Richard Hayes' book, Echoes of the Scriptures and the Gospels. This is how I kind of caught on to it. But, um... He, uh, he gives a definition of figural interpretation. So that's what we're kind of talking about, like figural reading, figural interpretation. Uh, we could say it in a way of figural playing, maybe. Um, in this instance. Yeah, for us. Game. But it says this. It says, figural interpretation establishes a connection between two events or persons in such a way that the first signifies not only itself, but also the second, while the second involves or fulfills the first. The two poles of a figure are separated in time, but both, being real events or persons, are within temporality. They are both contained in the flowing stream, which is historical life, and the only comprehension of their independent of, of their interdependence is a spiritual act. Hmm. So, like some of these things, um, and actually, I highlighted another part. It says, "But once the pattern of correspondence has been grasped, the semantic force of the figure flows both ways." As the second event receives deeper significance from the first. Yeah. Right? So some of these, like, repeated phrases of, like, uh, capable of. So that's Joel, then David. You have no Mm -hmm. idea what I'm capable of. Yeah, because it's early on in the game where it's like, supplies get low and we saw what people are capable of. Right. Yep. And that just paints the picture of, like, people are, to use it literally, you know, capable of things that would just really surprise and shock you. Yep. And then when you come to David, who's just the worst character in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Who is about to pretty much... I mean, he's going to rape and kill Ellie. Yeah. And he he pretty much... 
he he was not in that vicinity when Joel said that. Yeah. But the creators are taking what Joel said and like now it's being fulfilled. That's so right. that action and that like quotation is pointing back, but it's also like receiving a deeper significance yeah. where we think something crazy is about to happen, right? Sure. Yeah, it, it ratifies just the whole idea of like, oh, people are capable of really horrible things. This is a specific instance. Yeah, um, and we'll kind of come back to these repeated phrases with the themes on how yeah. they kind of sure. go into... But another, a huge one that you and me were like flipping out over was Baby <laughs> baby Girl. Baby Girl. Um, as at the very beginning, we meet Joel and Sarah. Sarah falls asleep. Joel brings her up to um, her bedroom, lays her down, tucks her in, doesn't... T- doesn't put her under the covers. Doesn't turn off the nightlight, <laughs> or the it's not even a nightlight. It's 2013 a <laughs> when this game came out. Yeah. And you know he he brushes her hair behind her ear and he says good night, baby girl. Hi, baby girl. And then all of a sudden that phrase is then picked up after Joel saves. Well, after well Ellie a- kills, after Ellie kills David. After Ellie kills David and yeah. he's just going destroying him. Honestly, yeah. Joel you know wraps her up and he says. And she goes, Joel, he almost, and he just goes, oh, baby girl. Oh, baby girl. Okay, so like that's pointing backwards, but now the deeper significance is being fulfilled in there. Um, Even Joel and Ellie, like, you don't don't have to worry about me, right? Ellie's checking in on Joel early on after Tess kind of died, and she says, I just want to say sorry for Tess. And he's like, Ellie, you don't have to worry about me. And everything's kind of revolving around David, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if you and me really thought about that, but... um, and then David's kind of checking on her while they're kind of getting through some infected, mm. and she's like, "You don't have to worry about me again." Like, yeah, these two things are. It's yeah, a David. He, make, he makes some sort of mark like, "Ah, oh, you handled that pretty well." She's, "You don't have to worry about me." Yeah, and I and like you pointed out, like she gets that from Joel, and Joel sets that up, and you see like Ellie's character growth and just taking these little mannerisms from Joel, which reflects just how he's rubbing off on her in general. Yep, absolutely, and taking verbiage and just applying it in their yeah. own kind of context. So. Figural interpretation, I think this is genius from Naughty Dog. Yeah. I mean, I really do. And like, they do it several other times. Yeah, even, you know, Joel carrying uh, Sarah at the very beginning and then Joel carrying Ellie at the very end. Sure. Right? We see these two things. Like, mm-hmm. it's a figural type of thing. So, anyway, we just wanted to say that up front because we think that's actually very impactful and we need to be watching out for those things. I've played this game six or seven times and I just kind of started catching on to that. Mm. So, um, anyway, I Yeah. That's a very powerful thing. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's talk about worldviews. What do you think? Well, we'll jump in on the state of humanity here. Um, (laughs) State of humanity, theme number one. Theme number one. So, in the wake of a global pandemic and the decline of civilization, you kind of have to wonder, you know, what kind of world are we exploring and what does humanity really look like? Yep. And... We kind of see two things happening simultaneously. The first part, and really the biggest part, is brokenness. And then the second one is that you see some kind of goodness yep. squeezing in. Yep. But, I mean, we'll talk about the um, the brokenness first. And I immediately thought of The Dark Knight because I just like to think of movies where the Joker's just like, uh, you know, when the chips are down, these uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. <laughs> R.I.P. Heath Ledger. <laughs> Incredible performance. Man, it's too good. And so it's funny because at the very, very beginning of the game when the pandemic's first breaking out, you're a little bit concerned for neighbors. Joel and everyone's like, oh, that was the, you know, that was that was their house. Yeah. You know, they, oh, they worked in the same. What, who, what happened to him? They're very worried about neighbors. And then 20 years deep into it, you don't care about anybody. It's all you and yours. Yeah. For the most part. For the most part, because there are some, like... I mean, Joel really embodies this. Yeah. Right? At the very beginning. And it's probably because he has Sarah. It is. Tommy it, Tommy doesn't... 
but they're trying you know tommy's like let me stop and see what they need and yeah, it's, like, it's a family driving, right yeah and and he's well they have a kid and joel says so do we somebody somebody else else will come along somebody else will come yeah and then sarah chilling like, and then sarah's that stopped. little bit of goodness glimpse in which well, we should have helped him we should have stopped yeah. yeah yeah it's too good um even the structures themselves that are supposedly keeping civilization upheld and in check you know the reason Sarah's dead is because a soldier under order shoots at her and Joel. Yeah. And so that sets up the fact, like, well, you can't run to the authorities about anything. Like, they're going to be just as bad and panicky as all the civilians. Yep. Traffic is really backed up. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost, uh, it's amazing to see how fast brokenness actually sets in. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, 20 years later, uh, the only thing that's really changed is, like, there's hardly a lot of people. A lot of things are shut down. There's quarantine zones. Yeah. And there's just trash everywhere. There is trash. It's just a grimy... Like... Yeah, it's a really dirty thing. And you're watching like you're watching soldiers drag people out of their houses. They scan them to see if they're infected. If they are, they shoot them. And it kind of there's not too many people left. Um, I get hence part of the title, The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. But it makes you wonder how many people died because they were killed by the virus... Or by the fungus, excuse me. How many people were maybe just killed by looters, robbers. And then how many people were killed by the government. Yeah. No, because those because numbers. If you are sneak probably, out, yeah, I, it seems like the warning is if you sneak out, you're going to be killed. Sure, I mean if you I step out of line anyway, because they just have this ridiculous crackdown. And so you see there, you know, early on in the game when the pandemic's breaking out, everyone's just freaked out. They're all terrified, and you see really that's what's driving all this. Like it's fear. It's not that people just for some reason hate everyone all of a sudden Mm -hmm. like they've just been finally put in a place where they have to really think about death and think about the fact that they might die immediately yep and that fear of death is just what drives this parade of negativity and violence yeah and then you know like not only are we having to worry about the state i mean the state of humanity really could be summed up when we see bill Mm. hey it's not the it's not the you know infected that I'm most worried about. He's like he's like I. They're predictable. Yeah, yeah. It's the normal people that worry me. You should you out of all people should know that Joel. And yeah. then Ellie's like, what does he mean? Nothing. You know, like sure. It's the normal people that it, it, it's bad. It's bad enough we have to worry about infected. Now we actually have to. We really have to worry about these the normal people. Yeah. And we get to Pittsburgh and you know we see it happening. Like, should we help him? Is he hurt? No, he's not. Hurt, he's yeah. not even hurt yeah the guy <laughs> the guy like stumbles out in the road and you're like because you're in ellie's position you're like oh shoot what are we gonna do here and joel like, just flattens the guy but then everyone comes out of the woodworks and they're all shooting at you and you're like oh well let's go with what joel says then yeah because why because they're hunters that's yeah. what they're called it, it like you you find all these inventory lists of like how much how many shoes they're collecting like yeah clothes and all this other kind of stuff I mean, you get in with david's crowd who are cannibals and they have how much meat in quotes they collect it's terrible yeah it's terrible yeah it's pretty brutal stuff um so yeah and then like we even catch it on like um uh i think it's when you get out of the sewers and with henry and sam and then you find that note where oh actually i think it's in pittsburgh but you find that note where you know uh, this one person killed these people for supplies, mm-hmm. and everybody had this uh, like everybody had this idea that they were gonna be like though that that person that killed them, yeah, he was gonna be killed because of what he did, and all of a sudden the meeting changed, and they were like, all right, actually what he did models it for how everybody else is gonna do it. Yeah, we're gonna go out on the hunt, 
and go find people and just steal supplies. Yeah. Two people pushed back on that idea. They were immediately killed. And Everything becomes a sudden uh, practical necessity. Yeah. Like, who's going to keep us alive the most? We don't really care. How Seems like morality, right, is like still kind of grasped at the very beginning of this. A little bit. And then it just starts peaking mm-hmm. to where like people are getting desperate. Uh, now the pandemic seems like it's probably going on for a while now where we got to live with these conditions. Sure. There's not hope. The fireflies aren't doing anything. And now we are just going to latch on to this unmoral ethic now. Because actually, yeah. is there an ethic at all? Really, that's what that, the question is. That's, like that asking. is a question. That's what the state game. of humanity is pretty yeah. much begging to ask. Do we even have an ethic anymore? Sure. And we got people waiting for ra- you know rations and the rations are low. And I don't know. Yeah, I mean, rations are like the new drug almost. Like that's what all the back alley deals are between Tess and these guys you're running into. Or, um, I mean, and then another thing that really illustrates this, just kind of last thing. I just love it when you're walking through um, with Henry and Sam mm-hmm. through that big neighborhood. Yep. And Henry's like, you know what this makes me think of? Barbecues. And he starts describing this stuff that makes you think of like people coming over and they're bringing potato salad and your dad's got that stupid apron on. And in the meantime, you're walking past houses with giant spray paint that says, like, you loot, I shoot. <laughs> we'll shoot on we'll sight. We'll shoot on sight. Yeah. It's, a, it's like in blood or, you know. Probably. It's probably just red paint, but it's, it's kind of weird. It has the effect. Every house kind of has that, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then we kind of talked about people barricaded their homes. The supplies started running low. Then we found out what people are capable of, right? Which is yeah, it's the first time you run into one of those repeated statements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like this. Uh, yeah, brokenness really is, you know, the state of humanity. But we do also see some goodness. You do, to this. So mm-hmm. even like uh, I guess this is kind of like washing away. You know, is there an ethic at all? I would say there is, and people actually even admit this in the game too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting because. There's this, you're still seeing the people who are acting selfishly and you would want to condemn them under something. So mm-hmm. there is some sense of ethic there. But then, yeah, you, I mean, goodness bleeds through on just a handful of characters. Yeah, absolutely. So like Tess and Joel, you know, they're bad people, right? Yeah. That's not what she says. But <laughs> uh, but when Tess is given the death sentence, she suddenly wants redemption, right? Yeah. So this finality of death, right? We could, we could actually say uh, there is no ethic, but still, we got to deal with death. You know, there might not be a right or wrong way to live in this world. Mm. Because at, at the end of the day, we don't actually know if the government really steps in or if anybody steps in if somebody kills somebody else. It right. doesn't seem like it. It's, it's because like now we're dealing with like a virus that is seeking to kill others, right? Sure. Um, so ethically, it's just like, well, it's just like a big question mark. But you still have to deal with death. And I think mm. everybody that like has a glimpse of that or whatever it is, they start asking these existential questions. Tess, as soon as she's like bitten, she's just like, she's trying to figure out the cure for herself, right? And she's mm. on the clock. She knows it. But then as soon as she, as soon as the fireflies are dead and there's nothing that can be done. Yeah, there's nothing that she can. She pleads with Joel to make the this like run and like to deliver the cargo. It's just cargo. Yeah, it's just cargo, Joel. But then all of a sudden, it's <laughs> it the cause. It turns into something way bigger. Yeah, yeah. It's re- it's like as long as there's a chance of survival, you'll do anything as down and dirty as you need to. But then once Tess loses that option, it's like, oh, death will absolutely happen. Mm-hmm. That sharpens her up all of a sudden now, and she's like, well, if I can't be saved, I can at least do something to ensure I can save other people. And she probably has like Joel in mind with this. You know, maybe Joel can be cured and spared. Yeah, you know. 
Yeah, so like this like finality or this threat of death can have this correcting effect. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting. But Yeah, cuz it it's the very thing that's driving people to do so much bad, but it also will just suddenly cause people to do something good. Yeah. So Ish, <clears throat> we find notes. We don't actually meet that character, but we find notes in the sewer and sure. even outside and you know, she or he. I think it's a he or she. Is it? I thought it was um I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be ambiguous. I think it, it might be a she. For some reason, I got the sense it was female. Yeah, maybe. I, I really don't know. But um, she says this one quote. She says, we're capable of good. Yeah. It's really that's interesting. A very, and that's that's such an interesting twist on what you're seeing people are capable of. And she's taken in the opposite And maybe direction. she's feeling that because like she was alone first. Because I feel like we first meet her before the sewer. Yeah, you're... um, Is it? You're in the big... When you're finding the rooms of people where they have the kids and there's someone named Ish. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I think you go in the water Yeah, and then those clickers are in that one room and I think that's where we first find a note. And she hears others in there. So she's like, I'm going to... She actually trades with them. Yeah. She says she trades just for some supplies but she's like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go back with them. Because life... Yeah, there's... If no one's around to laugh at my stupid jokes, what's the point of surviving? That's... I mean... So there, right? Yeah. Even if we could say, look, humanity doesn't really have an ethic, people are begging for one. Yeah, and it's, you get a glimpse of this goodness is like there's more to life than just survival. Yeah. Which is, and it's and when the world that you're in is all about survival, to just see that come through, I mean, it's a really bright light in that, a dark game. That's good because, you know, even Joel says we are survivors. Yeah. And, like, Tess really opens that up and goes, no, 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 we can't be. We can't just be survivors now. Sure. Um, so also something really interesting before we move on, like the setting contrast, we kind of talked about this, like the further like away you got, got away from humanity, the, the more beautiful this world gets. Sure. I love when you first leave town with Ellie and then you're outside of Bill's town, but it is beautiful. I mean, that is like one of the most like shocking. Yeah. Or even, um, I think maybe before, it's before you get to Bill's town where she's like, well, I've just never been in the woods before. Right. That's there. Yeah, that's and the Joel, most beautiful. And Joel, I mean, Joel's done it all the time. He just takes it for granted. But to Ellie, this is something brand new. Like it's probably so much safer out in the woods. And twenty years ago, that's where a lot of the danger might. Yeah, be. and that's like a good reminder for Joel, and then for us as a player that just experienced, you know, the loss with Sarah, and then everything else, the loss with Tess, and everything. That like, yeah. there's still joys in this life. Like this, yeah. you know, uh, Ellie's just kind of like, hey, look, fireflies, real fireflies, and they're just like kind of engulfing her it's it's really cool like i yeah i really do like that but yeah the you know but the closer we get to humanity the dirtier it gets and like and i think that i think that's very purposeful like we see this sure. darkness it's more dark it's dirty that represents the humanity but the further away we get it's more it's beautiful it's more pure it's you know? lighter i mean there's a total color change yeah i mean it's just so cool yeah and it i mean nature is just really used as this I guess, thing of healing. Mm-hmm. You know, after Ellie's encounter with David, they go and they see the giraffes. Yep. And she's just blown away by it. And I mean, up until that point, she's in kind of a really dark, low she place. Is. And that totally lifts her out of it. Just sure. seeing some giraffes. Yep. And now she can finally talk to Joel, do some things there. Yep. And then even that kind of like at um, at the college university. Good old ECU. When we, yeah. Go Bighorns. <laughs> when, we see, uh, when we see the monkeys. I think that's yeah. actually a dead giveaway that nobody's there. It is. It's a beautiful thing yeah. to see, but like again, we're if we're running with that theme right there of kind of like contrast and stuff, we can just mm-hmm. be like, yeah, the fireflies actually are here. So yeah, yeah. All right, moving on. So that's state of humanity.
I think it's it's hard to ignore. So it really is. So we'll move on to choice now. Um, so we explored that Last of Us takes place in this world where people are virtually unlimited in their ability to do whatever they want or whatever they think they need to do to survive. And so that plays out in all these tragedies and you see a little bit of goodness. But the really interesting thing, and you pointed this out when you were getting me to first play this game, is that it's a linear game. And I was really in my open world <coughs> zone back Assassin's then. Assassin's Creed. Yeah, that kind of Did thing. Did you play The Witcher before on. that? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, believe you I did. did because I and did. I was really high on making choices. But you're like, no, 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 CJ. Like, because it's a linear game, we don't necessarily know why the characters are doing what they're doing, and we have to figure out what's making them make these choices. Mm-hmm. Because the and it's in a lot of which games. I think is more interesting to a certain extent. Oh no, no, no! Because I can tell you why Geralt kills whoever because <laughs> I felt like killing them in that moment. <laughs> okay, like yeah. that's exactly why. But when you're a dark man. Okay, sorry. I don't know why Geralt. Tells them not to pay him because I'm feeling generous there. Does sure. that make it better? But yeah, in this game, whenever you know Joel takes Ellie, well, we know that's because of Tess. And then you watch their relationship play around with some different things, mm. and you're like, and there are times where he does stuff, and you're like, man, this is so heartwarming. And then there are times where he's he's pushing her away because of that past trauma, and like you're just hurting with her, and you're like screaming at him. And like if you gave me an option, I would like go hug her right now. So you get to watch all these aspects. But the game does give you a few choices to make. They're just very, very small. Sure. So we can talk about those for a second. Yeah, like uh, so like killing the infected guy. That's pretty early on in the game. That's super soon. I mean, it's know. even telling you how to reload a gun, I think, there or something like that. It's 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 actually a tutorial on how to shoot the gun. And all yeah, that. it is. It's like, wow, it's kind of dark. The, guy, <laughs> the guy's mask breaks. And, and you have all these spores. And he tells you, he's like, don't leave me to turn. Yeah. And you have the option right there to save your ammo. Or you hate the guy so much that you want him to turn. I don't know. And yeah. and then yeah. or you shoot him. And I think that plays have, a have part. Have you ever left him? I think I did leave him one time. <laughs> just to see what would happen. You, I was I was kind of interested to see like what the game would say about mm. that kind of stuff. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 you're good. I actually think the creators said they they put that in there and they were like we. Re- they, I think they said as uh, the metric was like eighty five percent of players killed him. It actually even might be higher than that. Wow. So. And I think that's them kind of embodying the character of Joel. Mm. And uh, I don't know if that means that Joel is having sympathy there or just like this is the world they live in and he needs to go. Yeah. I, I mean, know. that is your choice there, right? Do you want to show mercy or do you want to conserve ammo? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a, a pro tip. If you're playing on like the sure. hardest level, you save that ammo. <laughs> you leave him to die. Yeah. He's, he's already cooked. <laughs> you, uh, you probably just found your only ammo. So Yeah, if you can't stomp him to death, just go on. Another one. High-fiving <clears throat> Ellie. Now, who in the world yeah. would leave her? Fine, you want to leave that guy in spores, you leave him. But darn it, you high-five that you, little girl. Yeah, I mean, that is... I actually missed it the first time I played <laughs> through. And when she like reacts to it, I was like, oh, let me go back and load that. Did you reload the save? No, I just... You're a monster. I know. You're a monster. I cannot believe you actually did that. Uh, pet the horse or dog? That's not really a... I think they just want to give you something warm. And to be very clear, like these don't actually really have any effect on the story yeah you but it's still giving us like this yeah kind of nice agency that we as a player still have a choice to do this kind of stuff it is if you don't high five ellie in those moments kind of think it speaks to what joel's even about to do with her or what his intentions i I really think that's the purpose there like you sense joel pulling away so you can pull away with him she has no idea but he has every intention to hand her off to tommy yeah okay well of course i'm not gonna high five you (laughs) i think that's very easy 
Um, and then the last one. I think it's, I think the last one has some implications, like killing the surgeons at the yeah. very end. You have to kill the main surgeon. We're looking forward to The Last of Us Part Two right now. But you have to kill him, and then you you don't have to kill the other. Yeah, surgeons. you can leave. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever killed them. But I because I am flamethrower. Kind of, <laughs> what was the honest trailers where it was like you guys flamethrowed all the other surgeons too? It wasn't just me, right? <laughs> Just take a flamethrower and just like just catch You're everybody. Just roasting everyone. But I'm right. even worse because I really I just stand there, and look at them, and they're all terrified of me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, it wasn't giving me the prompt immediately to pick up Ellie, so I was just kind of standing there, and they were just like looking at me. It's very interesting. So, um, but yeah, like we can actually look at the choices. I mean, like I think choices, honestly kind of like an obvious one in mm. any story, right? We all make choices. I don't even know how many choices we make on a given day, but we make a ton Tons, of choices. Thousands? Yeah. yeah. But I feel like if we were to zoom in, it's it's more interesting on why these characters are making those choices, though, and, like, what's yeah. causing them to, right? Right. So, like, you know, uh, with our themes right now, we can talk about the state of humanity. Well, the state of humanity is actually kind of, like, funneling into choice. Yeah, and when like, the state of humanity is... Mostly poop. Yeah, yeah, so, like, honestly, um, like, this whole aspect of, like, we'll shoot on site, it's because people don't trust anybody, right? That's right. their choice of, like, I'm not going to trust anybody. They're making a choice right there to just say, I don't even care if they have supplies. I'm going to kill them before they even come in here, right? And probably because they've been burned by people saying, hey, you know, like the guys in Pittsburgh, like, wanting help or yeah. even offering help and then getting burned or you know killed or what yeah no that's such a good point because in this broken world that does have a hint of good here and there but for the most part it's really messed up who can you trust and so as you're playing as joel and you keep encountering these characters i mean you're on edge every time sure especially you know with you never know if someone's gonna like put themselves out as bait but you know you can't trust the government i mean you see joel and tess they don't trust robert they need him for something, and then later when they meet Marlene, they need her, and she seems more trustworthy than Robert. Yeah, but you don't know her. Yeah, absolutely. So, so there's a lot of yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I think we're kind of hitting the head, uh, nail on the head right there. Yeah, but I think the um probably the biggest part for me is when you meet Henry and Sam. Okay. Yeah. Just because you do get to extend in that relationship because you meet them in a fight, and then you know later on you have a little bit of a breakdown with them, but we can go ahead and talk a little bit more about. Just the characters and how we... Yeah, so like, I, you know, one thing about Monotony Dog is that it's, it's just, it's making us ask the question, why? Right. Like, so like, why Why are the characters, why do they do what they do? Hmm. Um, yeah, so like, oh, oh, we know we need to survive in this world. <clears throat> it's a it's a crap hole. Yeah. We all need to survive, right? But like, why do they do the specific things what they do? So like, if we talked about Bill, right? Bill's like self-interest. And in such a pure way, you just have to love him. <laughs> he's very paranoid about a lot of things. He has so many traps. He has so many things like set up that people cannot get in. He's got ladders in certain areas. He's got backup plans that he's already thinking about. With yeah. you know, even Joel asking about the car battery, he's already got it figured out. Like, so I, I, yeah. But everything is like based on his self interest, and it's interesting. He saves Joel. Yeah. And, like, I would even say, man, I don't even know if Joel has any debt to even bring up. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, like, it seems like Bill went out of his way to save Joel and Ellie in that moment. Sure. And he's mad that even Ellie's around. So, 
It just seems interesting about that kind of stuff. But there's, well, it makes there's, you it makes you wonder about the debt he has to Joel. Sure. Maybe Joel saved him and Frank. You never know. Well, that goes back to the whole like. Tarantino novel type of thing where yeah. you know there's Neil, so much backstory Neil Druckmann more. probably knows all of that <clears throat> sure he, he probably has like a backstory sure so. he probably does right um, Marlene talk about Marlene I mean Marlene head of the fireflies if you're lost in the dark look towards the light that's just her thing is she wants to reestablish some order and some hope for people to look to mm-hmm. and so Marlene theoretically is always going to be making that higher choice thinking about the good of the many over the you know Needs of the many over the needs of the few. Yep. And so there, there's some moments there where Marlene's going to get caught up in some kind of moral gray areas. But for the most part, you know Marlene's going to make a decision for the Fireflies. She want, she cares about Ellie, and that's clear. Mm-hmm. But Ellie represents something greater to her than just a relationship that she had with a friend who happened to be Ellie's mom. Yeah, absolutely. So, like... Yeah, those are some sub-characters, and we could talk about a lot of people. Oh, there's so many. Um, but let's talk about Ellie and Joel, like the main characters. Like, why yeah. do they do what they do? Like, for Ellie. I mean, man, just what a good character. So the thing, when you first meet Ellie, by the way, you notice where you meet Ellie? It's in a coffee shop, I'm pretty sure. Oh, is it? Yeah, I think so. There's I like it's a, in a coffee shop. There's like a menu behind them. and well, I left her even more now. There you go. And so when you meet her, she's... You know, Marlene's injured and Joel's helping her up. And Ellie, like, jumps you with a knife. Yeah. She tells you to get the insert bleep here away from her. Yeah. And so, like, she's this very protecting, caring person. Mm -hmm. And then later on you learn, you know, her worst fear is to be alone. Yeah. When she's talking through things with Sam. And that is crucial. I mean, that's when we're talking to uh, Sam. He's having existential thoughts because he's just bitten. Yeah. Ellie has no idea, but... Yeah, when he's you know he's asking her first, you know, what are you scared? Of? She's like, oh, scorpions are pretty creepy. And he's just he's fed up with that. He's like, well, yeah. I don't care about that. Right? Yeah. And then she says, being alone, and that's. And it even reveals, you know, she when he asks her if he thinks if she thinks people are like dying and going to heaven, she's like, well, I'd like to, but I don't. Yeah. So like to her, I guess the ultimate end is to be alone. Which we'll kind of talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, we'll we'll. we'll... You and me kind of talked about that idea right there. But, yeah, so, like, those choices. Yeah. Um, she so, And she's also just a kid. Yeah. She's 14 years old. And now she's older at 14 in this world probably than I am at 30. Yeah. But, you know, she's just a, she's a scared kid. She's lost a lot of the people that she's cared about. She's trying to figure out what to do with Joel. Um, and then later on when you get to the college and she's kind of asking about college kids and Joel's like, oh, they, they come here to find themselves and figure out what they want to do with life. Well, then Ellie starts thinking about like higher purposes and then it kind of transitions from like, what would you like out of life to like, well, should I be doing something with my life? Yeah. I mean, Ellie's got a lot of compelling stuff going on there. She does. And I also think it's like not even just being alone too, but like alone with somebody she doesn't really know. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. Like when she has the opportunity to escape with Henry and Sam, she jumps down. And she says, "We stick together." Yeah. She doesn't want to be alone with those guys. I mean, they seem solid. Yeah. But it's not with Joel. But Joel's, and it's funny because when they first meet, and Joel's like, "Oh, so you're you're buddies with the leaders of the Fireflies? What are you like, twelve? I'm fourteen. Thank you." Yeah, yeah, but she's like, not that that has anything to do with anything. Like she's suddenly very defensive. Like she doesn't want to talk about her age with this old big guy that she just met. <laughs> Because, like, who in the world is he? Just because Marlene says you can trust him, you know, that doesn't mean he's, like, a necessarily Yeah, I mean, she guy. even goes, how do you know these guys? Yeah. Yeah, so. Uh, even Joel. Let's talk about Joel. I mean, that's a very complex character. I'll, uh, just to go back to the, the Joker from Dark Knight for a brief second. Is Joel a monster? Or is he just ahead of the curve? Because... <laughs> 
Dude, Joel's such a dark guy, and he's he's hands down one of, if not my favorite, like video game protagonist. Yeah, is that why you were so defensive about part two? <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. So, well, when you actually when we're talking about like why Joel does the thing he the things he does, like he's almost an easy character to sum up sure. there. Like, when Joel finds his reason for survival, which he, he shows in the game, you know, you always find a reason to survive for it. Struggled with surviving for a long time. Yeah. And, I mean, his reasons for survival look like they're because of certain relationships he's having. The trouble is, like, his purpose and who he's, like, kind of attaching himself to, like, that's really cloudy the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, well, until certain points later on in the game. Um you know, early on in the game, he shows very clear motivation. Like, Sarah, we keep Sarah alive. Yep. I'm not going to help anyone else, even if they have kids. I hate it for them, but we're keeping Sarah alive. Yep. Then you lose Sarah, and then you learn later on in the game that, you know, he was keeping Tommy alive. And then he was keeping Tess alive. Now he's keeping Ellie alive. So, like, these are very, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll kind of touch into some motives later on. You know, but Joel will make whatever choice or decision he has to make. To keep these people alive. Mm-hmm. And that leads into some of the baddest scenes I've ever seen play yeah. out cutscene-wise in games. I don't know. What do you think about Joel? <sighs> Love him. I, I really do. And very, I actually think he is a pretty complex character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like, he almost is a little too easy, but um, I'm not even so sure, like, at, even with Tess and him. Like, I... I that that last scene with them still confuses me to a certain extent because mm. like, I and I guess that's just maybe maybe it's obvious how he processes everything is he just doesn't talk about it you know and it's kind of like Kratos maybe yeah I mean don't mistake my my, my silence, silence for, for grief like lack, of grief. lack yeah. of grief yeah um but I mean. I, they kind of make it seem like they're in a romantic relationship, but... Yeah, they hint at a lot. You just don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's really the focus. Seems like he is just, like, the sidekick and does all the manpower. Yeah, he's, the, he's definitely <laughs> the... test the, calls uh, the shots. Yeah. You know? He's definitely the heavy lifter. But, I mean, it is interesting how quickly... Um, I mean, Joel is very... He's very protective. I feel like... I feel like him being a uh, a father just has that protective instinct in him. So even early on with Ellie, like he's you know he's actually still worried about her to a certain extent. Yeah. When he's lifting her over the gate and bills, he's like, "Nah, you don't need to do that." You know, like I don't think he really. I think that's a genuine call to like he doesn't want her. He doesn't want Ellie to be in danger. Yeah, he and he's like he's that. telling her he's like watch out for those you know those lines and everything and yeah. all these other things and like we can kind of I mean. He doesn't trust her with a gun, whatever, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But, yeah, go for it. Well, I mean, I'm just, the reason, because it, it almost sounds like we're um, just on the fence here. Like, is he an easy character or is he a difficult character? Like, the thing is, like, it's easy in that once he finds someone he cares about, like, all bets are off. He will do what he has to do. Sure, so like Ellie. But he's, sure, Ellie is the example there. But he spends the first half of the game, like, trying to insulate himself from her. Mm-hmm. Just because he doesn't want to deal with the hurt of losing anyone yep. else again. Yeah. Like, he's he's been victimized by this world too much that he's decided to just harden himself up to it. And he'll just meet it on its own terms and go toe-to-toe with it and beat it back if he has to. Yep. So. Yeah, I mean, just juxtapose <clears throat> Pittsburgh and then the very, like, end scene. Or, not even the end scene, but uh, after he wakes up, 
uh, from his infection. Or yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so when he falls down the elevator, you know, Ellie's, like, freaking out. She's like, L- let me come down to you. He's like, nah, don't worry about it. And, like, it, I mean, he's got a, it's a pretty intense situation getting mm-hmm. away from those stalkers. Holy crap. <laughs> that was the scariest part of the game, but um, he, he doesn't seem very urgent to get there. Oh, it's yeah. very interesting, but then like you wake up, you know, it's it's snowing. In the hospital. Oh, oh, later on in when the in snow. the cabin in or David, you know, near yeah. David's town, and like he is like screaming for Ellie, you yeah. know, and he's like, "Where are you?" you know, and I mean, I guess he would understand where Ellie was in those certain instances, but yeah, I mean, like all these choices are gonna be funneled through. How can I protect, you know, uh, Ellie, and then like, how can I even kind of put my life at risk for her too? Yeah. I mean, him fighting back the fireflies in that hospital, that's kind of a ballsy thing to do. So. Oh, I mean, he's hes a one-man army. Or like when he's talking to Tommy, you know, all those years, we survived because of me. Tommy's like, hey, man, I still got nightmares from those years. Like, we... Wasn't I, worth it. Yeah, it wasn't worth it. <laughs> I love that scene. Yeah, but he really... And it's funny because you see him in all these really lighthearted or sweet moments with Ellie, but then you see him have to survive and he has to kick it up a notch. Yeah. And I mean, it's and then, it's very drastic. And then, kind of, we'll, we'll transition after this. But like, Joel's Joel's choice mm-hmm. to lie to Ellie—that is the kicker. I mean, I think about this often. Like, I was thinking about the game, and I was just like, "Why did Joel say what he did about? There were more of them. Yeah. Why would he say that? I feel like he's almost trying to insulate Ellie from any desire to go back and make sure they can't do anything." Because it's like once Ellie gets old enough, she's going to go back and see if she can help them find a cure. I know, but that just doesn't make any sense because then it's like Ellie would be looking out for those people, right? Whereas maybe I would, if I was Joel, I would just say something like, they tried, they can't replicate it. Or, you know, they can't make the cure or something. And I don't know. Or put, put the weight on the doctors. Ellie, they didn't want to kill you. Oh. I, I don't know. Like, why did he say what he did? And You're then, sneaky. And then, for me, like, when he makes that very, like, the game ends on it. Like, you know, Ellie's like, swear to me that everything you said was true. Because, like, even the way Joel was delivering that line. He was a little awkward in it, yeah. It ain't, no. That, that, it, it's false. I think Ellie knows. Oh, but then yeah, in part two, totally we, we kind of figure out, like, she's kind of suspectful, but she pretty much takes his word for it, which I would. It's love, trust, and all those other yeah, kind of yeah, things. Yeah. But, you know, for Joel to make that choice of being like, I swear. Mm-hmm. Like, I, he's definitely making that choice for himself. Yeah. Also for her, I mean, oh, I mean, we can make the argument existing is better than not existing. Yeah, I mean, in this world and with this worldview there, you know. There's no afterlife. There's nothing. If, if Ellie is most terrified of being alone, I think Joel made the right decision then. Well, and... To to put it in Joel's perspective, of course he made the right decision. Like, I'm going to keep her from dying, and I'm going to keep her alive. Because she, I looked it up, and after he gets her from uh, her killing David, like, it kind of, it goes mute while he's talking to her. But the consensus of the internet is he's saying, like, I'm never going to let anyone ever touch you again. Yeah, and okay? that makes sense after he says baby girl. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He, and then that he, is, he starts that using is this, Joel's adopting. He starts using this verbiage of kiddo a yeah, lot. Yeah, come on, kiddo. Know? So, yeah. and then... I'll, Oh, yeah, go for it. Well, I just, the very, it's funny, but I just realized the very, very last decision we see in the game is Ellie deciding to go with whatever it is Joel's feeding her. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then the. It's a choice to trust them. Yeah. Even, yeah, though, she, even though everything in her why? is screaming not to. Why, why though? Why yeah. for both of these two people? Because it, it centers on our last theme. It does. Love. 
gloves. And I mean, we could we uh, if you looked up a lot of interviews with Neil Druckmann, the creator, the writer of this game, he would say that the the main theme of this game was love. Mm. It's hard to ignore. I mean, everything is based upon that. Even if it's a dark, dark act or whatever, it's love for the self or love for others. Or yeah, you know. I mean, love is shown as this beautiful and compelling thing, but they don't paint it in such a way to like well. If all you need is love and you're following love, everything goes well. Like, a lot of things go sideways, particularly if you're the rest of the human race at the end of this game, because that love was acted on. Yeah, I mean, love's not always going to be the right thing to... Um, it's not going to lead you always in the right direction. Yeah. Like, we see that note of uh, that dad. Hey, I'm going to go find supplies. Why? Because he loves his kids and he wants, mm. to prov- he wants to provide for them. Sure. I think the implication is he never came back home. No, I don't think he did either. You know, and like, so it's like, okay... I don't know if it was the wrong decision. I'm just saying it doesn't end up always great. Yeah. You know? I mean, or even, you know, when you first meet Henry and Sam, and again, you love these characters, but when you meet them, Joel and Henry kind of scrap it up a little bit, and you decide to team up, and the reason they trust each other, the reason they choose that, because they both have a kid with them. So it's like, oh, well, you're probably not as bad as everyone else, so we'll stick together. Yeah. Even that verbiage, like, hey, so is that your daughter? No. I'm just looking out for it. And like, Henry says, I can respect that. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, because he knows what it is to to put that kind of emphasis on another human being. But then when it comes in, when it comes time for Henry to choose between Sam or you, peace. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's out. And you and Joel would have done the same thing? Yeah, and that's what, man, when when you wash up on that beach, or it turns out that Henry saved you and Joel, like, Henry's pops a him. smart man, dude. Henry's a genius. I love it. He's, he's yeah. angry, but he ain't going to do anything. He ain't going to do anything. And then, yeah, Ellie comes in there and he's like, he saved me too, Joel. That is amazing. I love that because, yeah. like... Joel know, was about to kill him anyway. Joel, uh, hey, I saved you. Joel still has got that gun pointed. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Ellie comes in and says, he saved me too. Joel relaxes at that point. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite things about this love theme is that you just see it escalate, escalate, escalate. Yeah. And even after that scene, like, you go over into this optional area past the boat... You know, and, mm-hmm. uh, hey, did everybody have a boat? Yeah, Ellie asked that question. <laughs> hey, did everybody have a boat? And he's like, I had a 50-foot yacht or something like that. And she's like, really? He's like, no. And she's like, sarcasm. We're getting somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's really funny because you see Joel's kind of practical love for Ellie, which is he'll he'll kill anybody and anything. Yep. But it, when you see him, like, starting to soften up and love her, because Ellie's probably loved Joel for quite some time by this point. Again, when Han- Henry and Sam run off, she jumps down. Hey, we're in this together. Yeah, facial animations. Like, he's even stunned by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is amazing on Naughty Dog's end. But yeah, he doesn't even say anything. He, did, he doesn't mm-hmm. say anything. He's just like, all right, we're, let's, let's try to get out of here, you know? Yeah. And that, then she, then I think she, that's a turning point. Oh, I mean, Definitely. and then she jumps off the bridge and Ellie can't swim. She yeah. admits this. But it's because she, like, she'll put herself in danger to save Joel and she trusts Joel to save her. Yes! What a moment. <laughs> Beautiful, it? man. Oh, it's and he so does. Good. He does. Mm-hmm. He holds on to her. And, and he it... wasn't going to jump. He was just going to stay there and shoot it out. Mm-hmm. And Ellie was smart enough to realize they couldn't do that. Yeah. God bless Naughty Dog. But both are like, you know, Joel understands that. You can't swim. That was the main reason. Yeah, that was that was his driving factor there. And I Joel mean, would have if... gladly stood there and been shot if he kept Ellie from drowning. I think so. Yeah. I'm going to distract him. You run around them. Mm-hmm. Amazing, dude. I, I like that's that's pretty early on. You know, that's before their big conversation or whatnot and all this sure. other kind of stuff. But oh, man, so what else is this uh, game saying about love? I wish we had all night to talk about this. <laughs> um, 
it does also talk about, you know, just the pain of loss that comes with love. Yep. Because Joel's strongest motivation for pushing Ellie away is the pain that he felt for Sarah. <sighs> yeah. And again, we don't get, I mean, we, we'll talk just a little bit more about Sarah later on. But like, you don't get that much time with her. But that scene where Joel's like holding her and she's dying and she's making those weird noises. Mm. Dude. And then, like, I looked up the video you were telling about, like, watching the voice actors go through all that, and then they have to, like, stand the, up at the end of the or something. Yeah, they have to like stand that. and do the T pose, and everyone's, like, crying yeah. because this is such a brutal moment. That girl is such an amazing actor, man. Bro, they all amazing actors. Um, and then, man, Henry and Sam. When Sam comes out, he's attacked Ellie, and Joel pulls a gun on him, or he's going for his gun, and Henry shoots to keep him from it. And Joel's, he makes a decision there, like, okay, maybe I'm going to get shot, but I'm going to keep this kid from biting Ellie. Mm -hmm. But before he can do it, Henry shoots Sam. And it was like the most loving thing he could do for his brother, who he couldn't save. That's my brother. Is at least to put him out himself and not let someone else take that from him. Yeah. And I mean, and it wrecks him because he, because he no longer has Sam. Like, he doesn't think he should live anymore. The choice. Yeah. I mean... It's amazing, like the love that he had for Sam, mm -hmm. the fact that losing him just led him to do a choice that was almost unthinkable. I mean, that is the most shocking plot twist. That's, I mean, that's, that's one of those. I, I don't even know if it's a plot twist, but it's just a shocking moment in the game. That's one of those jaw-dropping moments for sure that you mentioned early on. Because I was expecting Joel to go for it, and then I'd have to tangle with Henry or something. But you hear a gunshot go out, and I was like, "Oh, Joel just got shot." No, and then Sam's gone, and. You know, I, Henry, I just love him so much. He's, oh, Henry, what did you do? And then he starts to blame Joel, but ultimately he blames himself. Because, and you mentioned this while we were playing the game, like just their parenting styles are so different. <sighs> yeah, yeah. And he's so careful with Sam and like he let him down and he just can't handle it. It's so sad. Yeah. I mean. Oh, it's a crushing scene. For sure. And they're they're great characters though. I love when like they get separated. And then Ellie's, Ellie's with Henry and Sam's with Joel. Oh, yeah. This is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there, I mean, like, there, we kind of um, put these in categories. There's a lot of love, like an adoptive type of love, a fatherly mm. love, and then a romantic love, um, a brotherly love. They're related by blood and all this other kind of stuff. So, mm -hmm. it, I mean, it's it's literally everywhere. They're, they look at a variety of relationships throughout this game. Yeah, and then again, like, the love is funneled from these two first themes that we talked about. State of humanity, choice. And it's like, love is like, if we love ourselves, mm. right? That's what's going to affect my choices. And based upon the state of humanity, like, I'm going to make these, like, things. So if I yeah. need supplies and I, like, I just love myself, like, or, yeah. I think it's or love this idea of even death maybe, mm. uh, or love this idea of safety. Like that's gonna form all these other things. Yeah. So it just funnels into one another. Yeah, because what you love is ultimately what you're gonna put weight on, and that's what your decisions go to. That's right. Yeah. So, anything else that we need to kind of hit on with that? Um, I mean, we talk about love having a cost of pain, but also there's a cost of sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So. I think that they're really showing something here about love being more of a decision rather than an emotion. Right. You know, like, I figure Ellie has some, like, pretty warm feelings towards Joel, but whenever she's jumping off the bridge or she's jumping back to him, like, she's probably just terrified. And then later on, um, you know, uh, Marlene is willing to give up Ellie 
to find a cure, and that's probably not because she loves humanity. She's talking about how dark and horrible humanity is later. But it's because I think she loves the idea of, like, just helping people. Like, she loves people with a decision rather than just, like, you know, some sort of gushy feeling, if that makes sense. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you and, you, you and me talked about this beforehand, but it's just like, finding a cure anyway. Mm-hmm. Would it do any good? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, th- so I think there's some blindness there, and I think there's, like, for Marlene, like, her love of finding a cure and for hope. She wants to see, like, the hope, I guess, in that, right? Yeah. Maybe a cure would spark that hope and all this other kind of stuff, but... I don't know, man. I just it, it's. I think it's a blind. The state of humanity is too far. For it looks even, like it's fallen too. You far know, we talked far, about this. Yeah. Like the fireflies are on the run for their life. Mm-hmm. If they found a cure, who the heck would care, man? Yeah, the government. Would. Or would anyone even trust? Yeah, would the government even trust them with it? Or would they just try to kill them and take the cure and try to use it to leverage control again? Yeah, I just. I don't know. Yeah, but Marlene definitely shows like a hopeful sort of loving attitude towards what she could do for humanity yeah so it's it is sacrificial um i also think um we see love especially between ellie and joel as being vulnerable with one another mm. right like we're, we're getting some backstory we don't really see like joel asking a lot of questions about ellie all the time yeah except when he's first curious like what do the fireflies want to do yeah with yeah, you? yeah you know all this other kind of stuff but like you know ellie will prod a little bit that's such him. a good point and at the very, you know, that, that lodge moment where Ellie runs away, you know, and then, like, like they have to face it. Like, mm-hmm. Joel's being this way because of Sarah, and, like, Ellie's like, I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel, but everybody in my life, too, has died. Yeah. You know? So I've lost, I've people, lost people, too. too. And he's yeah. like, you have no idea what loss is. And it's like, uh, okay. Yeah. And then that powerful moment, right? Everybody I have, lo- like, I've loved that have either died or left me. Everyone except for you. Mm. So don't tell me that I'd be better off with somebody else because truth is I'd just be more scared. Yeah. That's such a hard scene to watch. Dude, it Especially is. Especially when Joel just simply says, you're right. You're not my daughter. And I'm, I'm sure as heck not your dad. Sure as heck not your And dad. then it's so funny. After that, he really embodies a fatherly role though. Yeah. I mean, he really does. Yeah. and He's explaining... He's explaining like uh, football... Uh, we kind of talked about this, like the whole gun situation. Mm, yeah. You know, like he's having, to, like, even after she's getting done with that bolt action rifle, he gives her that handgun. He's like, in a fatherly way, he's like, all right, now the safety's on. You know how to work that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's because you see this relationship change. Like, Ellie for Joel goes from cargo to someone he can kind of depend and count on and someone he's finds himself just naturally wanting to look after to someone he very deliberately wants a relationship with. Yeah. And it's like, just because having to take care of her, I think, has forced him into that fatherly role so many times, like, he just can't resist it anymore. Yeah, and, like, I don't even know if, like, Joel's always so, like, enamored with her being, you know, immune. Oh, yeah. I really don't. Like, he, he's definitely, like, he's like, how the heck are you breathing in and all these things? Oh, yeah, you know? and he's and like, he, you just keep your condition to yourself. He mentions it to Tommy, you know. Yeah. He makes that a big point. It's like, dude, you're not even really, like, convinced. And I think that goes back to our whole point about would a cure even solve anything. Yeah. And see, yeah. that might inform Joel's decision on, man, that cure is not going to do anything. Well, and then who does Joel know in this world that he would like to save anyway? Besides maybe, you know, Tommy or a handful of others. And he's kept them alive that's a good point 
so far. But it's funny, but like this love he has for Ellie also has a very strong healing component because we talked about how um, Joel would not accept that picture of Sarah from Tommy, but he'll accept it from Ellie. And then what does he say? He says, Some, I guess you just can't run from your past. Yeah. And it's because he's really like... <sighs> oh, it's that vulnerability you were talking about because yeah. he's finally accepted his first loss and reopened himself back up to that same kind of relationship. Yeah. I if mean, it wasn't he, for Sarah's loss, I don't like. Yeah. Would it, he be in the situation with Ellie? I mean, if he still had Sarah, he probably never would have stopped to give Ellie a thought. Right. Unless Sarah could have, like, caused him to do it. That kind of goes back into our, maybe even our choice or these repeated phrases of. Yeah. You know, I guess it was meant to be. Mm. You know, and it, that's kind of a sub, subtle theme throughout yeah. the game, I think, about this, like, um, things that had to happen and maybe choices, but yeah, interesting. It really is. For sure. But, I mean, this is a beautiful, I mean, if you really were to, like, zoom in on Joel and Ellie and just, like, how much they're shedding and, I mean, like, Joel is, like, over the moon to a certain extent, even after David's, you know, he's like, feel the breeze, you know, I used to play my six string. Hey, I'll teach you how to play guitar after all this is done. Oh, yeah, you'd you like know? that she's, one, yeah. She's not really involved and, um, yeah, it gets kind of tricky after all that kind of stuff. Well, it's funny because they almost move into a, I've never been a dad, so I don't know, but it almost feels like they move into a slightly more realistic father-daughter role there because then... Joel starts wanting to engage, but he doesn't really know how to do it that well. And Ellie's been through some stuff, so like she's kind of pulled away and just doing her own thing for a moment. Yep. And it's really awkward. I mean, it's funny to watch to an extent. but Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, Naughty Dog's just really good at making human relationships very real in their games. So It is. It, this is a beautiful story. I yeah. mean, it really is. Um, so, I think we exhausted that. What do you think? I'd love to keep talking about it. I don't even know if we did. I I mean, and it's funny. These are just three themes we pulled out. There's probably so many others you could play around with. I think so. Yeah. I think so. Okay, so, like, we've talked about... um, We've talked about the worldviews that we see. Now Mm -hmm. now we need to kind of apply the gospel filter, right? We need to... We need to say, hey, how does this fulfill it, or how does it critique it? Yeah. So starting with the state of humanity, like, what's kind of... Yeah, I mean, that. I definitely think it's one of those things that what we learn from from biblical texts is, like, total affirmation here. Um, the biblical view of, would say that the state of humanity in The Last of Us is that what we're seeing play out is just man's depravity, mm-hmm. right? So when, when people are pressed hard enough, their tendencies towards you know being selfish and keeping themselves okay, that just lashes out in a way that's more obvious than we might see um, in a day-to-day life. But yet we see that people are made in the image of God, and that means there's always going to be some degree of goodness just kind of peeking out no matter what these circumstances are. And sometimes it means the worst circumstances bring out the best in people, which is, I mean, you see that so many times. Um but I, it's funny because I wrote down like a Matt Chandler thing, um, which connects in what you know you uh, you say later, where it's like we don't um, like we're sinners. That's why we sin. Right. Yeah. So Matt Chandler's like, no, you're not a good person that occasionally lies. Like you're a liar. He's <laughs> Matt Chandler because he's yelling everything. Right. Yeah. It's not because we sin we're sinners, but yeah. Yeah, because, because we're, we're sinners. sinners. We exactly. Sin. Oh, you said that cleaner than I did. Yeah. But that's Ephesians too, right? We're dead in our sins. Mm-hmm. Like we're not injured, we're not struggling, we're not basically good, straight dead. Like 
That's just our spiritual condition. Yeah, and like even like total depravity kind of even has this like idea that we're not as bad as we could be too, right? Oh, because yeah, of the Imago Dei. And yeah. but this this world kind of flips it on its head. It's like uh, and jo- it, it's a self fulfilling prophecy of like Joel saying, "Hey, once the supplies ran low, then you started feeling seeing what people were capable yeah. of." And that's an interesting statement because we, I, you and me, like we hear that and we go, "Yeah, I can imagine," you know, like. But it's also sh- like it's shocking that we're not so shocked by that. Mm. But I think if we started, uh, I, but I also see this tension in this world where, like, you know, the group of people, um, you know, they were then ordered to hunt other people. Yeah. Uh, and they are shocked by it. People, you know, push back on it, they're immediately killed. But like, it's just kind of what the the natural man just kind of like bends itself to mm-hmm. in desperate situations like something like this where yeah. a pandemic is there's nothing certain. And that's the dude, we can even relate that to our world today. Like I remember when the pandemic first hit, like we are just not certain about tomorrow. We don't know anything about this COVID-19. We don't know anything like we're scared. Yeah. And we're going to you know what? Because of that, I'm taking all the toilet paper. Taking all the toilet paper. I gotta wipe my butt for the next six months, you know, yeah. and like. And I'm gonna take enough gas to make sure I can still get around to go get all that food, so I have to keep wiping my butt. Yeah, uh, it was it was crazy just yeah. thinking about that, and so like this uncertainty really breeds just like, you know, terrible sides of us that we never think thought on a day to day we would like kill somebody, but when an opportunity kind of presents itself like mm-hmm. this in these conditions, in the state of humanity. Psh- yeah, yeah. If all, You'll if, see what I'm capable of at that point. Yeah, and it's funny because what I'm capable of gets worse because I'm so turned in on myself. That's a good point. And you see that, you know, in the fall. Like, you have two people mm-hmm. in a perfect relationship. They they have, you know, community with God. And then Satan introduces this idea that maybe you're not getting taken care of so well as you think. And they start focusing in on themselves. And then the fall happens. And then God comes back and checks well, I mean, he already knows what's going on, but it's like, yo, hey, Adam, what's up? Where you at? And Adam's, yeah, not because he doesn't know where Adam is, exactly. but it's because Adam doesn't know where he is. Ooh, look at that. Yeah, true. And it's funny because Adam just blames God for everything. And, you know, that woman that you gave me, she she did the thing, and I did the thing, and that's, y'all, yeah, yeah that's just your fault, God. I don't know what to tell you. It tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in Genesis 4, right? I, I kind of put this, but like Cain killed Abel because the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. Yeah. It's like, Are we really like this... then, like, like really blown away by if a zombie apocalypse happened and then we start killing other people? Like, sure. we shouldn't be so shocked. Like, the littlest things in our world, even today, dude, we don't have a zombie apocalypse happening, but like, somebody can do something like that maybe you don't have or whatever, and it causes people to kill others mm-hmm. for that. Um, so I think like those moments, it shows us what the arcade, like humanity nowadays is capable of, but like in these conditions we would go, yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, to do another comparison on the day, um, you know, Christ talks about murdering someone is just hating them in your heart. Yep. I mean, we, we talk about all the stupid mask stuff. Like there are some people who look at other people not wearing a mask and they get scared about themselves and Mm -hmm. they start to think some intense things about them. It's like, oh, you're not wearing a mask. You're endangering me. And then you can flip it over. The people not wearing masks see everyone else is wearing masks. And they're like, you're fearful. You're You're giving too much control to the government. Like, you're endangering me and my rights and my freedom. And people are just, like, at each other's throats over wearing a mask or not. I know, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
even with this condition, Ephesians 2 will go even further, right? It says, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Mm-hmm. So it's like one, again, we keep saying this, but it's like one way you should be surprised. Another way, if something like this happened, man, of course. Actually. We, uh, yeah, it just seems yeah. like that, right? And yeah. It's by God's grace that we're not there, I think. Sure. At the end of the day. <clears throat> yeah. Or I mean, Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 talks about how like the fear of death keeps us enslaved to the one who holds the power of that fear, which is Satan. Like he uses that to manipulate us against each other yeah. all the time. So we kind of talked about this. Um, we kind of hinted at it while we we're talking about our pandemic that we've gone through in this yeah. world. But like, again, a sobering question for us to ask is what, if any, are the differences in the state of humanity in the game compared to our world today? <laughs> Do you see any? I mean, <laughs> really? I mean, yeah. there are parts of our world that people are are just getting killed left and right for no reason. Right? Sure. Injustice and all these other types of things. It is a, it's a sobering question. We, I don't know if we necessarily have to just be like, oh, I wonder what our world would look like if we had a zombie apocalypse. Well, mm. I don't think it would look totally different. I think it would look worse. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, it would just be, I think, like all the same decisions just carried out to more extreme In ends. a broader sense. Yeah. In a broader world, right? Yeah. Because if you're not going to take care of me, then I'm going to take care of me no matter what. Yep. So. so we would say this, the gospel in this game right now is actually, it's it's paralleling or it's prescribing the conditions right. happening in The Last of Us, That's right? That's what I said. And a lot of people say, oh, well, all people who make mistakes, man is bad. All, I don't even know if people would necessarily say man is bad, but it's it's prescribing the conditions. Like if, if Ephesians 2 and Romans 3.23 are telling us that we're dead in sin and uh, we're by, you know, my teacher used to say, how does it make you feel that you are Satan worshipers? <laughs> like breaking down Ephesians too. I was hey. like, well, wow, it's accurate. But Sobering. Jeez. Easy. <laughs> uh, but I think that the gospel is prescribing. Yeah, this is what would happen. Sure. Right. And, and we should, I think just to make a note here for people listening who aren't Christians, I don't want them to hear us saying something to the effect of like, well, of course, everyone's terrible in this game. They're not Christians. Because our our sinful nature is something that we still wrestle with. I mean, you see Paul talking about that in Romans 7. Like, you know, he talks about this battle in between him. Like, the things he knows he should do and the things that his flesh wants him to do. Like, it's just something that we're all stuck in while we're in this, this present age. Yeah, and then we can flip it on the other side. We've already talked about this. Like, this badness of creation actually yeah. has some goodness in it. Yeah. Right. And uh, but I think that's where the gospel would fulfill it. Right. In Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Right. Yeah. You take on the mind of Christ now. Yeah. Right. And again, yes, we do wrestle with this world. And uh, man, I honestly, that's where this this hypothetical situation can kind of just like get fronted to a certain extent because we could just go, well, I don't really know what it would feel like to live in a world where I'm walking down the street just looking for some supplies and then I see a house that says, we'll shoot on site. We'll shoot on site. And yeah. then I. We'll kind of get into this actually next time with choice, but uh, let's actually talk about that. I think we've done a pretty good job with State of Humanity and the gospel fulfillment. Why do we make the decisions that we do, Mm. right? Uh, What are the foundational governing principles in our hearts? But according to the Bible, the heart is where everything flows from. Yeah. Even our choices. Read off that Proverbs for me. Proverbs 4.23. 4, yeah. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it 
uh, for from it flows the springs of life. I messed that one up a little bit. But yeah, like, so whenever you hear the word heart, that's just like kind of the total sum of your human being, right? Like, that's who you are, your deepest, most core base values. Yeah. So that's why everything's coming from it. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, um, I have a commentary by uh, Bruce K. Waltke and Ivan D. V. D. Silva. Nice. It's it's fantastic commentary, but they kind of talked about theological points about the heart in mm. Proverbs, and I think this is a I think this is a good paragraph to read. It's talking about the heart of like psychological functions, and it says this are also ascribed to the heart. It is the seat of a person's disposition, which can be found in Proverbs twenty three seven and then Romans one twenty one. The complex interplay of intellect, sensibility, will, disposition occurs in the heart. It prompts all we do. Thus, planning. And decision-making are actions of the heart. That kind of goes to our choice. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes to the choice of like why we make the choices is because our heart is kind of prompting us to do that, right? I am, God, knows and experiences all its emotions. Lack of insight or judgment is called lacking heart. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, true. It's kind of interesting, it? right? Yeah. So anyway, I, I think that's kind of helpful when dissecting, you know, why the choices we do. Yeah. And state of humanity can kind of influence that, no doubt about it. But like our heart is really prompting, sure, what we're kind of going after. One, it's funny because we talk about the state of humanity when it gets a certain amount of stress tends to go bad. I mean, I think of this from Jeremiah, which says, "The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it?" <laughs> like, well, cool. That's a wrap, I guess. No wonder that dude wrote Lamentations. No joke, man. It's brutal. Yeah. But, it, okay, go for it. Well, I just you know it's beyond cure, mm-hmm. and so we. You know, on the, By the Christian side of things. Yeah, like, we can't cure. Or you would even say, like, it has to be killed and brought back to life. Mmm. Yeah. That's good. Which is, because that's, what, that's yeah. what Christ life does Life is for. found by laying it down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're going to keep it and hang on to it, or as you would do in Last of Us, survive. Like, that's how you <laughs> lose survivors. it. survivors. It is over, Tess. <laughs> yeah, Jesus takes these even a further... Uh, takes a step further in Matthew 6, 21, right? For where your treasure is... There, your heart will also yeah. be. Yeah. And uh, I love Calvin. Calvin says this if honor is rated the highest good, then ambition must take complete charge of a man. If money, then forthwith greed takes over the kingdom. If pleasure, then men will certainly degenerate into sheer self indulgence. Well, he hits that nail on the head pretty hard there. Calvin, we love you and your five points. All right. Oh, um, right. Next. <laughs> <laughs> so again like, three and a half that's right uh, you're not Piper and seven uh, I got nine Ugh. I'll talk to Piper about oh, it jeez <laughs> so again we would say like the gospel here like parallels or prescribes the conditions of choices found in our characters right mm. like the gospel is telling us hey it's the treasure or like the heart is really what's prompting these choices and all this other kind of stuff we can go yes now where the gospel corrects the choices it's is it seeks not our own interests but the interests of others. Yeah. And I think this is very interesting because, again, this is where we see this Imago Day kind of like coming out of people. Where like people do kind of are making some choices based upon others. Yeah. Bill does have to kind of like say no to himself and save Joel and Ellie. Sure. He does have to say no to himself to get him a car battery. And then get the heck out of his town. You know? Like, he doesn't really say that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a mixture because some of it... Yes, Bill is obligated by a certain amount of debt. But at the end of the day, it's not like Joel's putting a gun to his head saying, you better find me a car battery. Mm. Like, Bill makes the choice to help them. No matter how selfish and kind of grumpy he seems. Yeah. 
So, and then even you have guys like, I mean, oh, David, I just hate him so much. Like, even he and his group, you know, he talks about Ellie early on. He's like, hey, we have a big group, too. It's got women and children in it. You and I was like, you don't see him. And I was like, uh, okay, first off, I call bullcrap on this, David. But then you hear his guys talking about it, and they talk as if they have some kind of town and system. It's like, man, maybe even people this dark and horrible still have people they're one to look after. Mm. You know, they're still making choice, like they're making all these extreme choices with them in mind. And it, I mean, it's a place of They moral, do have to care for them. Yeah. It's a place of moral an- ambiguity in the game, but we would say, like, that's just that image of God creeping out and showing itself. In a but distorted then, manner. But then being very abused in it. Yeah, yeah very exactly. distorted manner, yeah, exactly. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, like, in Christ, we're not perfect, right? So our choices will certainly fail at some points. And I even would see that as, like, some type of um, sanctification on, on our end anyway. Yeah. We're not going to make perfect choices, so that gives us the opportunity to repent to people mm. or uh, to admit that we were wrong or whatever it is. And I think it humbles us to know that we don't know everything. Sure. And right? that's and that's the sanctification process right mm-hmm. there. Like, that's what sharp. Like, I guess justification is us receiving... The power to change and sanctification is watching that change us over time. Yeah, uh, uh, you wanna, you wanna, you really wanna experience this? Just get married, right? You have every intention to just make the right choice. <laughs> oh yeah, obviously. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you kind of look I'll over and you put go, "My wife first. <laughs> and then you kind of look and you go, "Wow, you know, like I was thinking only about myself there." Yeah, you know, and I'm, like this could be totally even just about making lunch. I hate making lunch, man. Sure. And like, if Sarah wakes up a little later. I know she's going to ask me to make her lunch. And I'm just like, please don't ask me that. (laughs) And I can't believe, though, like, I'm not making the choice to just go ahead and do that, though, for her. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I fell there. That's Now, that's really minor. Mm. And we're not talking about the Last of Us kind of decision or whatnot. (laughs) But, like, you... I made your lunch. I killed the neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. But you get our point, right? However, like, the gospel compels us to take on the mind of Christ. Yeah. Christ, and it's crazy. Christ didn't come even for himself or for the healthy, but the sick. We are all the sick. Christ's choices were filtered through God's will. We find that in John 6, 38. Now in Christ, we have the Spirit, and we are called to live by that Spirit. We find that in Galatians 5. So yeah. I feel like all those things are just trying to, like, Christ is leading us. Not even just, like, in, in moments where uh, if we just happen to fall on, upon, like, Ellie, and we just kind of start building relationship over, like, no, actually, if we found her, Christ is compelling us to take care of her, right? Yeah. If we saw that family on the side of the road, Christ is compelling us to stop by and help. Now, again, yeah. like we do have to weigh these things in tension because that doesn't mean that you and me are going to get into a car right now and go downtown and just like tell a homeless guy to get into our car. I think there are like this this tension of being smart, but also like... Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, as we talk about this horrible world that everything's happening in, clearly Joel's not going to go let a stranger into his car because it's risky. We have the same risk, and we have to um, weigh out things in a in a less severe way. Sometimes, sometimes not. Um, but as we're weighing it out, you know, we have this assurance that at the end of the day, like we're looked after and we're cared for. That doesn't mean it'll necessarily go well. Like it's I could good. I could let a stranger in the car and get shot or whatever. Sure. I sure. can let a stranger get in the car and they save me from something. Like I don't know, but I know Christ is working in all of it. Yeah. So. And that, you know, and living by the Spirit is, you know, maybe the Spirit says, go get that person and maybe. let them in your car. You maybe. Know, maybe. Maybe the Spirit deliberately leads you into what would be considered a dangerous situation. And yet that's a situation for your good. Yeah. 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 And, but 
my illustration wasn't certainly just Xing out. Oh, I know, out. I know, I know, I know, yeah. So I think you did a good job balancing that out, but yeah. So choices. Now we're going to talk about love. Yeah. So we talk about the, the two themes kind of funnel into this main theme of love. The state of humanity can be gauged on how people are loving one another. Right. We can look at humanity and be like... All right. What's the state in it by how everybody is interacting and yeah. loving one another and serving sure. one another? And and you look at The Last of Us and it's such a dark, horrible place because everyone's choosing like unanimously, unanimously almost choosing self over others. Yep. Or this little pack. Yeah. Or right. which is just kind of an extension of pack. yourself anyway. Yep. It's like it's me and mine or you and yours, so we're going to draw this line and if we have to kill you totally. and take your stuff because it keeps my people alive, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Inner Joel, <laughs> but anyway, so, but we do see love playing out mostly through this like adoptive father-daughter relationship with Joel and Ellie. I mean, that's the primary focus of the game yep. for the protagonist, but whereas, I mean, again, we talk about the state of humanity in how love is played out, like Joel clearly loves Ellie, like that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Joel clearly does lots of questionable things, but he does it. To save Ellie. And, like, at the end of the day, that's something that's good. Yeah. And let's also talk, like, Ellie loves Joel. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or does she? I would I would maybe even make the case she um, maybe loves him in a, in a better way. I don't know. I you... love this. Keep going. Okay. Well, so I think I could be totally wrong here. Joel shows at the end. That he's going to keep Ellie alive no matter what. And we talk about how that's kind of a selfish role. Like, he just can't stand to be without Ellie. Uh-huh. And maybe if it was reversed and Joel had the cure, like, maybe Ellie would come to grips with it more differently and still kind of acknowledge that there's some sort of ethic to cling to. So she doesn't, she doesn't just use Joel to save her own emotions. I don't know. Is that maybe? Okay. I'm getting nervous here. I'm wading out in water that's way over my head. I don't. I don't have enough backstory on these people. Okay. But I just that's think interesting. Well, I just think because it's an interesting thought. Well, just because where Joel talks to Ellie at one point, and he's like, "Hey, we don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Like, we can after leave. the drafts. After the drafts, he's like, we can just go back. We can go back to Thomas. She's like, Joel, what other option do we have? Like, I think Ellie recognizes the need. After all, I've done. After all I've done, after all that we've been through, like this can't have been for nothing. Mm. And she wants it to be for something good. And so because she maybe has her priorities in a little bit better way, her love's a little more straightened out than Joel's. Not oh. necessarily less intense because Joel's intense. Yeah, because guy. it's tragic right there where Joel says, well, it wouldn't be for nothing. Yeah. He's like, we would. I have you. Yeah. We're alive. We can go back to a flourishing and electricity, you know, ran yeah, we can go town. Watch movies and I can teach you how to swim and teach you how to play guitar. Like Joel gets a child back and that's what he's getting from it. And so I I don't know, maybe I maybe that's too hot of a take. I th- I think so, but like you and me have talked about that whole um interaction with uh with them in that lodge scene, you know, where she gets mad. Like or she doesn't mm-hmm. get mad, but she's just like, Look, everyone that I knew you know, he's either died or left me, everyone except for you. And, like, my question to you about all that was, what was that about? Like, what was she saying, you know? And is she telling Joel that, like, 
you you can't walk away from me after all this. Mm. Is that what she's communicating there? I, I think it's it's a very complicated type of relationship. And if we think about it deeper, it's maybe because like like you just can't walk away from me now because like I have to do this, you know, and I'm already scared enough and you're the one that's comforting me to do this. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I mean, dude, this this stuff is so densely packed. To tease it out would take you probably just need a series of podcasts. But that is a good point. I mean, she really paints it. It's She paints that instance to where, like, Joel, there's no other choice. Like, we need to stay together. And then later on, it's like, Joel, there's no other choice. Like, I'm the cure. Yeah. We need to do that. Like, Ellie's very plugged into some sense of right and wrong here. Or just some sort of sense of commitment to people. Because when they're in that cabin and she's like, hey, Joel, I've lost people too. Like, I think what she's saying there is, like, I've felt everything you've felt. Yeah. Like, and I'm I'm still open to this. Like, I still want this relationship with you. So, like, what's your problem here? Yeah, and, like, yeah, I think it's, it, it's um, you know, I'm sorry about your jo- uh, daughter, Joel, but. Mm. You know, and that but really sticks out, you know. I didn't, yeah. Didn't mean it in that way, but I, I think <coughs> it, 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 it. Sorry, not, not clean. I'm just messing with you. Go ahead. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, I think it's just this like aspect of like, dude. After all we've been through, you can't do. You just can't walk away from me. Mm. Like, that's just, it's just not fair for me. Yeah, and I think that's what she's trying to call him. Like, love is bigger than just like for one person. Like, it, it seeks the interests of others. And like, yeah, he's own. He's like, I think she's like calling him out to own this. Like, you can't walk away. Yeah, I think and I so. understand. I totally understand that it could probably be the easiest thing for you to do, but you can't walk away from me. So yeah, well, so another one of the repeated phrases that we talk about from time to time is like "meant to be," like David's like, "Hey, I think it was meant to be that you come to me, Ellie," and then you know Ellie cracks his head open with a machete, and then Joel says he thinks it's meant to be um, to Marlene that he thinks it was for them to come to the Fireflies, and then all that comes to a crashing halt because he. He refuses that it's meant to be because of, you know, he would lose Ellie. So if you just kind of hang with me here, um, all of this stuff meant to be, I'm starting to slowly lose my, my train of thought here, but um, whether or not it's all meant to be stops mattering to Joel because he's so honed in on Ellie. Yep. Whereas to Ellie, I think her and Joel are meant to be because they're human beings who have connected on this level. Mm-hmm. And then Ellie senses a connection with humanity as a whole towards the end of it. And so, like, this is meant to be, too. Like, I have to help them like in that. the same way I had to help you and you had to help me. Mm-hmm. And so we would see that, you know, we talk about this love theme and how the gospel fulfills it as this real sense of, like, um, selflessness, being focused on others, being a part of community and being a part of relationship. And I think you see that in like, uh, I mean, I'll, I'm going to bring up some theological stuff way above my head here, but just the Trinity. Okay. Yeah. Like God, God forever outside of time exists in a relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so because we're made in his image, like we're made for this selfless, no, it's you over me every time community. Yeah. And I think Ellie demonstrates that really well. That's good, yeah. And I would also say that, like, uh, if we're if we're talking about fulfillment and critique or s- stuff like that, like, we do see a lot of imperfect love. Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it really is like, and how that's juxtaposed with the gospel is God is love, right? Mm. God is love. First John, we love because He first loved us, right? It goes back to the whole Imago Day. We can love because God created us and loved us. Yeah. Um, 
Yet he made us because he loved us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, it's a perfect love. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect love that came, lived our life, died our death. Um, and in the end, like it, it, it unifies. It unifies a broken, a dead thing to something that's alive and yeah. reigning, Christ in us. But even at the end of it, the game, like Joel and Ellie aren't unified. Yeah, it's been broken again. Yeah, and it's it's a tragic ending, honestly. But we see that kind of like there's that imperfect love kind of embodying yeah. itself, where one person's at odds with the other. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, just because Joel has chosen Ellie over everything, like he's even chosen Ellie over his relationship with Ellie. I'll keep her alive even if I got a loser to an extent. And so he lies yep. to her. You know, she's she tells him, you know, swear to me, and he swears and stupid game ends there and I'm just my jaws on the floor and I look like an idiot. (laughs) But again, like, you know, Joel is like, I think he's making the right decision to a certain extent. She doesn't want to be alone and, you know, does Ellie even know what that operation was going to entail? You and me talked about this. Yeah. You know, they she kind of talked about, hey, look, even after that hard conversation, hey, we don't have to do this. Then later she goes on to say, hey, I know you mean well, but let's just get this done. And then we can go wherever you want. And you, you're you not so convinced by that. Yeah, I'm wondering thing. if she's just sort of feeding him lines. But then literally, like, while they're heading to the hospital or whatever, like, um, yeah, Ellie's, like, kind of, jump, you know, she's near water. She's like, hey, that's maybe something that you can teach me after this. Yeah. Like, swimming. Yeah. She's looking forward, too. And could so be. I, I don't, I don't know. That I'm more cynical than you in general. I know. That could just be it. I know, but you know, John thirteen thirty five. We have this down. I think it. I kind of. I think it embodies like the state of humanity and then the choice, right? Mm. But then, like, it, it filters into love. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples that you have love for one another. Right? Man, does that speak loud today, in our world right now, where this is like disunified? It, it is so discouraging, right? We can look at the Last of Us and be like, man, Christ's love would unify these people together, and I don't know if it would make it more simple. Right, I think everything would be a lot more complicated. Does it mean like, uh, if you know, instead of these like these signs of being like, hey, we'll shoot on sight, and if I was to put like, hey, come, you know, food and shelter, come and dine. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's so simple in that type of world. Right, people would be skeptical. Could be somebody even embodying uh, a language like that, and then like abducting those people and killing yeah. them. I don't know. Like, I think that's what this world is all always. The world in The Last of Us is making us like question everything, right? But in this world, like that's where the love maybe is just critiqued a little bit in our Christian worldview is like instead of like everybody killing one another, like, you know, the love that Christ is calling us is to love one another. And that's how we will be known by this yeah. world yeah. that we're part of it is. So. Or, even, or even when you see unbelievers showing a, a selfless kind of love, it's like encouraged in them like, yeah, keep following that path. Like be totally selfless. Right. Like literally take your focus off yourself to something outside of you. Yes, and I think this is amazing because it points forward to part two because this is what the the town is kind of getting at, Mm. right? Even Joel. I mean, this is going to be a very interesting conversation, even like talking about like Sarah saying we should have stopped and then like Joel in part two is like, He's saving people. And he's going out. I mean, he stops. It's cool. And then what does it end up being? Anyway, anyway, Ah! anyway, anyway. But we would argue this, though. Even though, like, this, like, type of Christ-centered love in this type of world, it might not be so easy. I think we could argue this, that everybody wants to experience that, though. Everybody would love to experience 
coming into a random town, seeing come, eat, and shelter, and actually having that happen. And I think that's even a bigger look forward to, this is what the world will be like one day. Mm. We are designed, that goes back to that whole C.S. Lewis like quote, where he goes, if I can think of it, right? If I can think of like... Um, or like, uh, what does he say? He's like, you know, man d- desires sexual like intimacy or something, so and we have a desire that fulfills. So there's a, so there's sex fulfills that. Or if, right. or if I have hunger, there's food for that. Right, and like this perfect world or whatever. If I have a desire for that, yeah. it, it can only mean that there is actually something out there for that. Yeah, and that I was designed for another world. And I yeah. think the fact that we desire for a community to be perfect like that. Look, we just got to read Revelation, right? We got to read all these promises that God, you know, has in the Word of God that we can cling to. Yeah. And we don't. We we can hope for it. We can be joyful about it. And we can just like, we can even lament, Lord, come. But I think that yeah. we would argue at the end of the day that people do desire that, and that is for the world to come too. Yeah, one hundred percent. And we, I mean, we all crave unity. We see so much brokenness and disunity in this game, and we all just want to. It's like when you're watching people do this. Like, why don't you just work together? Like. Things will be so much better that way. But then you look in this world and you want to say the exact same thing to everyone. Whereas like what's coming is a place for like all people, tongues, tribes, nations, everything. It's like completely centered in purpose and being and, you know, because it's all just centered around Christ. Absolutely. And then literally we would fulfill this like interest of others. I mean, this is cool. Like, I mean, in heaven, if there somebody was to just drop like a a soda can. It would immediately get picked up, right? Because we're looking out for everybody else, right? Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. There it is. Gospel critique of love and then all the other ones that we just did. So, yeah. How do you Ooh. feel about that conversation? Good? Man. Hopefully it was fruitful for our listeners, too. I hope it was. Yeah, I enjoyed okay. having it. <laughs> I know, right? All right, let's, let's probably do the hardest part about this podcast. And let's just do a conclusion. And let's talk about First of all, this game is rated M for mature. Okay, yep. uh, blood, violence, language, language. Uh, Ellie specifically, language. A lot of it <laughs> for a fourteen-year-old person. And I don't know if there's such a simple answer to all of this. Yeah, you know, I think it is preferential. A lot of people could write arguments. Uh, and I'm thinking of Kevin DeYoung writing arguments against watching Game of Thrones. I see a lot of fruit in that. Um, and I think at some points we're just going to have different, um, different views about art and we, or not, mm. maybe not even, uh, different views as in, yes, I'll play this versus somebody else that doesn't want to play it. That's, that's a different view. But I think what you and me are trying to communicate is that we don't have to agree with everything that art promotes. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's a sense of, I can take this game and I can enjoy it. And if it's telling me something that I know to be good, like praise God for that, and I can enjoy that, and I can promote that. And if it's got something in it, whether it is, you know, incredibly graphic violence or language or, you know, what, what other ever issues might come up in a video game, it's like I can lay that down and leave it alone. And maybe if it if it bothers my conscience to the point, maybe I just lay the whole game down and leave it alone. Like, sure. Like there's no reason, you know, there's no reason to break Christian fellowship over something like that, I would think. Yeah, that's a whole... First Corinthians type of thing, right? Yeah, too. I think, but yeah, I mean, um, I think it. I think all of the harsh things in the game. This is just me talking here now. Um, I think they represent a very real picture of what so. would happen in this dark set of circumstances. Yep. And even Ellie, being a fourteen-year-old who swears like a sailor, like 
I remember middle school. I remember 14-year-olds like, this is pretty accurate. You yeah. know, that might just be their thing. They just want art to imitate it as closely as, as possible. I think so, yeah. And I, I don't think we would affirm, like, yeah, you know. I, oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, whenever, I, I mean, I quote Ellie quite a bit, but, like, all right. I soften it up a little bit. But then I think of some games like Borderlands where the swearing in there is like, they're just swearing to swear. And it's like just, the, I don't know, like it's just part of the culture in that game. Whereas maybe it's not painting. I don't know. Some people would still call it art and disagree with me on that too. Yeah. But. And so I think there's just like, there's aspects that we need to be disciplined in a walk to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I Even that's a finicky and fishy conversation. Yeah. Right. I see both sides. Uh, I don't think you and me are necessarily going to be like putting somebody up against a wall and saying, play this game. I would tell people, please play this game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, if, if I was to learn that somebody was like, oh, I just don't believe in that kind of stuff. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. There's plenty of great games that you can play. Uh, but I think it is, an, it, it's an interesting message uh, from Naughty Dog. Yeah. What our world is, what our world is, you know, communicating. Yeah. I think it is good to be aware of this type of thing. If anything is being communicated, and we've already talked about this, but I, and we keep pointing forward to part two. But I, I do think there's going to be a lot of important conversations, especially with part two, right? Even with our world right, right, right now, right. and then even with some of the story elements that they chose to, uh, to tell, which is going to be a way more. Oh, there's a lot of weeds to go through there. That's going to be a way sure. more complicated relationship. So yeah. even he- listeners, we would love your prayers on that. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, maybe the pressure is more on us because we love this game so much. And it's like, there's some tricks here. So like the pressure's on us to maybe defend why we like this game. But I just think the themes that we've talked about here speak deeply to like very human issues. Mm-hmm. And you can learn a lot about this game by just watching a bunch of fake characters in a zombie apocalypse. Maybe this podcast is just kind of like offering just like, maybe, we're not saying that our way is just like super correct. Oh, of course not. I'm just, it's probably good for you to play a game like this though and then keep in mind of how this is being fulfilled or how the gospel is fulfilling it or critiquing it, right? And and view it through a lens. That's what we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah, that really is the biggest goal of it. And it's instead of just taking it for what it is and then just like Yeah. Not doing any type of criticism towards it. Yeah, and I mean if it makes me think of like we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, spirit, all this stuff. We also supposed to love with all your mind. Yep. So like really think about things and chew on them. Yeah. I, I agree. think that that's a sanctifying process. I agree. So does it offer a challenge? Yes. I think it would. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think just take everything that we just said with a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> or run with it dogmatically. We don't know. Yeah. So that's a dealer's choice. It's art. We love it. So. All right, dude. I think that was a good conversation. I think so. And The Last of Us, one of our favorite games of all time. I know it's my favorite game of all it's your time. Favorite. I think it's like my, second or third, right? It's Three. number two for me. Uh, one day it could bump off my number one. <laughs> what, Halo or Witcher? Witcher. Yeah, I figured so. So we'll get to that game. It's coming shortly. So, thank you so much for listening to the Brothers in Law podcast. We hope this was fruitful, and uh, we hope you play this game. Until then, we'll see you next month with part two. Yeah. Part two. Here we go.